Merry Christmas and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Bingham Mead, the host of the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast. Our focus is on the history and culture of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. I'm a direct descendant of the founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, and I thank you for tuning in. What a pleasure it is to welcome you on the 25th of December, 2021. Whether your roots go back nearly 400 years, like mine do here, or even 400 seconds, well, we welcome you with open arms. You know, you, like it or not, you're a part of our history. So congratulations and uh, welcome. Now, with one foot in the past and the other in the present, we can look forward together to an extraordinary future in one of America's most notable and dynamic communities. Join us as we celebrate and embrace an evolving understanding of our history of Greenwich, Connecticut's history, of its people, landscapes, culture, and so much more. I hope that you will find this podcast as a home for connecting to the stories about the history of Greenwich, Connecticut, and I hope that you will contribute to those stories and to that history as we forge on to 400 years. It's coming up a lot earlier than people realize. Now, I got to tell you that Norman Vincent Peale is quoted as saying, Christmas waves a magic wand over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. I certainly hope that that is the case with you. It certainly is with me. From my home and my family to yours, I would like to extend warmest thoughts and best wishes for a joyful holiday season. May the blessings abound during this season of joy. We're wishing you a cheerful celebration during this most beautiful time of the year. I'm thinking warmly of each of you and wishing your family an extra measure of comfort, joy, and hope this Christmas. My friends, this podcast, as always, is made possible by Peter F. Alexander of Site Design Associates, the Long Island Sound Institute, and the Ambassador Museum of the United States of America, and listeners like you everywhere. Coming up on today's show. I'll share with you how the people of Greenwich, Connecticut celebrated Christmas 100 years ago in 1921. An annual Christmas party, for example, was held for the children at Byram Chapel. Also on Christmas Eve in 1921, an old-fashioned Christmas party was held for the children at the Second Congregational Church. And on the next day, a music musical concert consisting of Handel's Messiah was held also at the same church. The Sunday school at St. Rock's Church in Chickahominy welcomed 285 children for its Christmas exercises. The Greenwich Social Service League welcomed 300 children to the town hall for the lighting of the community Christmas tree there. And the first congregational church was transformed into a barn scene complete with manger. Have you heard the name A? Oki Hall. He was the mayor of New York City in the late 19th century. He was a prospective governor of New York State in the late 19th century as well. Now, the Greenwich Graphic had uh, a correspondent by the name of Ezekiel Lemondale. He caught up with Hall in a club in London, England, um, where the former mayor shared his favorable thoughts about Greenwich, Connecticut. Another, a former Greenwich resident then living in what was then the Dakota territory, now North and South Dakota, 
return for one last look at the town of her birth. As we continue to honor the 125th anniversary of the founding of the Greenwich Police Department, you'll hear about a gentleman named Conrad Zoell. He was a local carpenter who unfortunately lost his way in 1911 due to intoxication, wandering around Millbank Avenue in the vicinity of the Armory off Mason Street. Also in 1911, uh, a woman by the name of Mrs. Virginia Janus of Koskov was highly displeased with Brooklyn, New York resident Arthur DeVoe, alleging $8,000 in damages to her reputation. Hmm. Now, the Greenwich Historical Society was pleased to mark the debut of the John Henry Twachman Catalogue Raisonné with an illustrated virtual talk by Lisa N. Peters, Ph.D. I'll show you where you can enjoy Dr. Peters' virtual talk online from the comfort of your home or anywhere with internet access. I'll also share with you a fictionalized Christmas story that I penned in 1986. It was set at the Ferris Homestead in Riverside, built in the 1700s. That homestead still exists. It's at the corner of East Putnam Avenue and Cary Road. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, well, stay where you are. We'll have all this news of public events and lots more as today's show unfolds. Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Support is made possible by... An award winner of the Landscape Architecture Foundation, Greenwich-based Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect of Site Design Associates, believes that landscape design has the capacity to transform perceptions and ultimately inaugurate a deeper respect for the natural environment. Since 1979, Peter F. Alexander has been tireless in his commitment to excellence in project design, management, implementation, and personal service. Building upon a cornerstone of experience and trust, he believes that each landscaped project design expands the interpretation of design, craftsmanship, and sustainability. Peter F. Alexander is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympics Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the master plan of the Calf Island Conservancy in Greenwich, Connecticut, numerous residential projects, and much more. Proudly collaborative in his approach, Peter F. Alexander's creations of immersive experiential landscape spaces cultivates a sense of community and connections that are second to none. Learn more about Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect at sitedesignassociates.com. Again, that's sitedesignassociates.com. Dot com. You can also call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. By all means, when you contact Peter F. Alexander, please be sure to mention that you heard about him through the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Thank you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.li. S-I-S-T-U-D-Y dot info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475-897-5444.
And we are welcoming a new major supporter to the show. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual Ambassador Museum based in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seeks to be a tribute to ambassadors, their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is looking for records, photographs, and videos of ambassadors and their families, or people who have been associated with ambassadors in the past. Monetary donations are also welcome. Funding supports the Virtual Museum, which is receiving support from the University of Denver and the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Throughout the town of Greenwich's 20th century history, a number of ambassadors lived here, perhaps the most prominent being Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. He grew up on historic Denbig Farm off Riversville Road in the backcountry and served as ambassador to Morocco and as chief of protocol of the United States, among other diplomatic assignments. On future shows, we're looking forward to featuring histories of those from Greenwich who served the nation in various ambassadorial roles. You can learn more at amusa.info. Again, that's amusa.info. You can call 203-347-4604. Again, that's 203-347-4604. Or you can write to Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. Again, that post office box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. May I let you in on a secret? In my not-so-humble opinion, nothing beats the comfort and soothing qualities of a good, hot cup of coffee in a historical setting. The Coffee for Good Cafe is located in the Stone 1858 Solomon Mead House at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church of Greenwich. My friends, this is not your ordinary high-end retail coffee shop. Coffee for Good is a new, unique, nonprofit partnership with the Second Congregational Church and Abelis. It employs and trains people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Coffee for Good's authentically historical, legendary ambiance will make you want to sip and stay for hours. Believe me, I'm there. <laughs> Enjoy exquisite indoor and outdoor dining. The service is attentive and friendly. And did I mention, ready for this, that the parking is free? Hey, just saying. Oh, and let me throw this into this free Wi-Fi. Need a place to study, work, read, meet up with friends, or just relax? Make Coffee for Good your destination. It's certainly one of mine. 48 Maple Avenue in the 1858 Stone Solomon Mead House. Open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday, closed Sunday. Learn more at coffeeforgood.org. Again, that's coffeeforgood.org. My friends, I've got great news for you. It is not too late for you to take holiday tours of the Bush Holly House at the Greenwich Historical Society. From December 1st, 2021 to January 9, 2022, from Wednesday, on Wednesdays to Sundays, 12 and 4 p.m., 
you can enjoy holiday tours of this wonderful place, the Bush Holly House, on the grounds of the Greenwich Historical Society. There are special evening candlelight tours of the Bush Holly House. Those will be available at 4 p.m. on Saturday, December 4th, Saturday, December 11, and Saturday, December 18. My friends, you're invited to enjoy a guided house tour of the historic home of the Bush and Holly families decorated for the holiday season. Tours provide visitors with an introduction to two distinct time periods, the New Nation, 1790 to 1825 and the Coscup Art Colony period of 1890 to 1920 with discussion of the home, holiday traditions, and decor. Tours will be limited to 10 guests and on behalf of the Historical Society they do ask that all guests wear masks while indoors. If you'd like to learn more please go to GreenwichHistory.org or you can also call the Greenwich Historical Society at 203 869 6899. All right, my friends, I have a little assignment for you. I want you to get out a paper and pen or pencil, whatever it is they have, or your uh, digital device. And I have a name that I'm going to give you. His name is Rick Hansen, H A N S E N. And he is a remarkable librarian that is employed in the Greenwich Library system. Now, let me ask you this. Are you, are you a family history or genealogy enthusiast? Um, do you need uh, help with searching through an ancestry database? Do you want to know maybe a little bit about the, um, the history of your house? Learn more about uh, when your family settled here in Greenwich, whether Founders Rock um, marks the spot where the English centers, uh, settlers founded Greenwich, how you can access burial records and newspaper records. Um, uh, ancestry records, microfilm and microfiche, uh, historic photos of uh, um, Greenwich. Well, if you're at the Greenwich Library, Rick Hansen is your man. He is the local history librarian on staff um, at uh, the Greenwich Library, and um, he is somebody who has been on my show um, when I was on radio, and uh, he is somebody that definitely you should contact and get to um, to know. Now, um, you can do that uh, if you are at the main branch of Greenwich Library at Deerfield Drive and, um, and uh, West Putnam Avenue, um, which is uh, located at 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, you can call the library and ask to uh, speak to Mr. Hansen, Rick Hansen, at area code 203-622-7900. That's 622-7900. Uh, and please tell him that Jeffrey Bingham Mead of the Greenwich A Town for All Season Show podcast sent you to, uh, to contact him. You know, the, the Greenwich Library website, which is GreenwichLibrary.org, has quite uh, an amazing number of uh, resources about um, the history of, of Greenwich that, uh, that you can access online. Um, you can just, uh, you know, go and explore, visit, learn, whatever the case may be by going online to GreenwichLibrary.org. But if there's somebody that you need to talk to um, who is very, very conscientious and uh, will uh, an patiently answer your questions, Rick Hansen is your man. So again, you can go to GreenwichLibrary.org um, or you could have stop in and visit at 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich. Uh, or you can call 203-622-7900.
The circa 1760 Samuel Ferris House, located at 1 Cary Road in Riverside at the intersection with East Putnam Avenue, is the setting for a story. It's a fictionalized uh, history story that I uh, wrote and was published in the Greenwich Time on December 24, 1986, and it's titled um, Old Fashioned Holiday at the Ferris Homestead. Um, it's, uh, it is a fictionalized work. Uh, I rarely foray into, uh, to that area, but, um, at the time it was something that was interesting. And so since it is Christmas, I thought that maybe I would uh, share it with you. The house of course is still there and uh, we're very, very glad for that, of course. And so without any further ado, let's, let's hear the story. All right. It was a mid afternoon on Christmas Eve in 1893 when the snow began to fall. The wind had been especially cold and breezy that morning, and thin layers of ice had begun to form on the Mayanos mill pond behind the dam. At the Ferris homestead near the east bank of the river, there was much jubilation, especially among the children. Travelers passing by the house could hear the sounds of singing and laughter as friends and family came by to extend holiday wishes to Sarah Peck Ferris, grandmother and owner of the historic old family homestead. While others commented on the snowfall and the breezes that whipped by, Grandma Ferris seemed unfazed by all the fuss about the weather. After all, she had read about it in her farmer's almanac days before. As one approached the Ferris house, it could be seen with its pitched roof, clapboarded sides, and whitewashed chimney under two very large poplar trees. Beyond the homestead lay an old apple orchard that gently sloped down toward the water's edge. Built in 1760, the house seemed a bit seemed to sit comfortably all year round at its location. It had splendid views of the nearby harbor as well. Sarah Ferris and other locals always spoke with pride to travelers that the homestead had been frequented on occasion by the great General Lafayette during the Revolutionary War and that General Washington himself had passed by. Inside, Sarah sat quietly in her rocking chair beside the blazing warmth of the living room hearth. A fresh pine wreath hung majestically on the wall above the fireplace. The inviting glow of burning applewood logs contrasted with the plumes of smoke that billowed out of the chimney that rose from the center of the house. In the opposite corner of the low-ceilinged room stood the family Christmas tree, with its highest branches brushing one of the exposed beams. The tree was gallied, festooned, with candies, garland, cookie ornaments, red ribbons, popcorn strings, and candy canes. The rich aroma of pies, roasted goose, and other foods spread from the kitchen throughout the house. Trays of smoked oysters, gooseberry tarts, and molded jellies dotted all the side tables, inviting all to feast and enjoy. So while the men and the older boys gathered firewood and tended other chores, the women busied themselves with holiday preparations in the kitchen. The, fam the grandchildren gathered themselves around their grandmother and the warmth of the hearth, as they did every year, to hear her tell stories and sing Christmas songs. "'What is the meaning of Christmas?' asked six-year-old Nathaniel. "'I know,' said his older sister, and smirking, it's because old Santa comes around every Christmas to give all the good children presents. Is that true? Nathaniel asked his grandmother. Sarah laughed loudly. No, child, she said. Grandma, did Santa Claus bring good children presents before Jesus, or did Jesus get born in the manger first? asked Nathaniel. Sarah took the boy in her lap 
and said, no, sweetheart, the baby Jesus came first. After dusk, a group of handbell singers and carolers gathered in front of the homestead and sang. One of them stood in the middle holding a lit oil lantern. The carolers sang one of Sarah's favorite songs, Away in the Manger. Away in the manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. While they were still singing outside, young and old alike stopped what they were doing and listened to the harmonious carolers. Sarah emerged from her rocking chair and parted the living room window. Delight beamed joyfully from her bespeckled eyes. Above the lantern light, bare branches were enveloped in silvery ice that sparkled like constellations of stars in the night. The snow was falling quite heavily, rapidly covering the persevering carolers, who continued with unrelenting holiday cheer to sing merrily. Snow! Everybody grinned at the thought of drifts of snow covering the ground on Christmas morning. Over by the sugar maple, but at the front gate, would lay abundant folds of the white stuff. From here, Sarah's grandchildren would build a snowman. With a carrot for a nose and charcoal for eyes and mouth, he would stand nobly greeting everyone, venturing to the homestead. The snowman would receive an old pipe for his mouth, and his head would be topped with a beat-up brown hat swiped from an anonymous grandchild from one of the upstairs closets. The snow, indeed, was a delight for all, although Sarah Ferris would be there to admonish young and old alike, noisily, noisily banging her cane at those who forgot to wipe off their snow-encrusted boots before entering the house. After greetings and best wishes for holiday cheer were exchanged with the carolers, the family gathered in the living room with Sarah taking her usual spot next to the warmth of the hearth. She took out her Bible from the nearby bookcase and read aloud the story of the birth of Christ. Later, her son, Jonathan Ferris, brought in his violin and played while the young children sang to their grandmother. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. After a hearty Christmas Eve dinner of roasted goose, pies, and an endless assortment of foods, the young children were brought to the living room to hang their stockings above the hearth, and those that were staying at the homestead were ready to go upstairs to bed. But before everyone set off to depart until Christmas Day, Sarah Ferris ended the evening by reading a visit from St. Nicholas. As Grandma Ferris read on, Nathaniel came over and stood next to his grandmother. As she neared the end of the poem, he climbed onto her lap. The dancing flames of the hearth made both their faces glow with holiday warmth, love, and goodwill. And with that they read the end together. Happy Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. The headline on the December 1st, 1911 edition of the Greenwich News, read, quote, Retired in wrong room, Millbank Avenue mistaken 
for first-class hotel. Now, this, of course, uh, is part of our historical police blotter. It is continuous um, as part of our observance and commemoration of the 125th anniversary of the founding of the Greenwich Police Department. Um, needless to say that um, uh, people even way back in uh, olden times were, um, shall we say, less than perfect. And <laughs> this is yet another example. The, as the story goes as, um, as follows. Conrad Zoell who did the woodwork about the judge's desk and witness box in the borough court, had an opportunity to inspect them again on Monday when he was arraigned before Judge Hubbard on the, a charge of intoxication. Officer Flanagan, who made the arrest at midnight Saturday, told the court that he had found Conrad wandering in the road on Millbank Avenue near the armory, utterly bewildered. Conrad evidently believed that he had reached home, for he had one shoe and one sock off, which he had thrown under the supposed bed and had taken his collar and necktie off and laid on a supposed mantle, otherwise a stone fence, while his watch and purse he had laid on the bureau, which he mistook a rock by the roadside to be. He was looking about for his bed when the officer approached, and deciding that it was Rather cold to sleep outdoors that night, the officer took Conrad to the lockup. Afterwards, he went back to make a search for the missing shoe and other wearing apparel, which was found. Sunday morning, Jacob Batcher became bondsman for him, and he was released from the lockup. Conrad told the court that he had been to Port Chester to a moving picture show and was taken sick and at about seven in the evening went into a drugstore and secured some medicine for a stomachache. To prove this, he produced from his pocket a small vial, which, after Judge Hubbard and prosecuting attorney White had smelt of, was pronounced by the latter to be a mixture of rhubarb and soda and peppermint. Conrad said that the medicine did not affect the cure, so he took one drink of whiskey but he was of the opinion that the medicine secured at the Porchester store was responsible for him getting lost. And the article concludes, Judge Hubbard told him that if he had sufficient money to get drunk with, he surely had enough to pay a fine of one dollar and costs, which sentence was imposed. This is a story that caught my eye. It is dated February 14, 1891, on page three of the Greenwich Graphic. The reason why I caught my eye is because, um, as many of you know, uh, for the last quarter century, I have actually been going back and forth between my home here in Greenwich and also in the Asia Pacific, uh, based in Honolulu, Hawaii. So um, I know what it's like to be far away from home. In my case, I have two. It's kind of nice and kind of interesting, to say the least. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and there are many of my, my friends um, and uh, people that I grew up with and, and, uh, and neighbors and, and others who um, have uh, you know, gone far beyond the, uh, the borders of, of Greenwich, Connecticut, to um, other climes around the world. My sister lives in Paris, for example, and I have other neighbors that live in California, Montana, Oregon, uh, all over the place, you name it, they, they're there. And so... Um, this uh, caught my eye because it's entitled um, uh, Swallows Homeward Fly, What A. Oakley, Oakey Hall 
thinks of Greenwich, Thomas H. Lawrence, not unmindful of us, Ezekiel Lemondale, quote-unquote, in a sentimental mood. And um, it, it talks about, um, in this case, a couple of individuals uh, who are familiar with Greenwich and uh, who were very far away when they reminisced about um, our, our very, very uh, pleasant and wonderful community. The story goes as follows. In a London club last August, I saw A. Oakey Hall. Now, who does not know A. Oakey Hall? If I may cut in here, I didn't. <laughs> I did find out that he was a former mayor of the city of New York, and he was affiliated with, um, uh, with Tammany Hall. You can look that up. They were not the most pleasant of people. Uh, they were a bit on the corrupt side. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from there. All right. So who does not know A. Oakey Hall? Once the brilliant mayor of New York City, the prospective governor of the Empire State, a probable president of the United States. But a series of political misfortunes, complications, occurrences, call them what you like, you remember them well, terminated his political career and London has been, in home, has been his home for more than 10 years. But he has not forgotten the places that once he knew so well. When he took me by the hand and the light of recognition gleamed through his eyeglasses, he said, quote, yes, indeed, I am glad to see you, and especially because you are from New York, unquote. And then we sat down, and he recalled all the troublesome times of 25 years ago. He alluded with great satisfaction to his vindication by a jury of his peers, but no remark of his seemed more significant than this, quote, Go where I may, live as long as I may, I shall never cease to love New York, the home of my boyhood, the scene of my school days, the place where I built my hopes and saw them shattered. Unquote. Then he proceeded to speak of the suburbs of New York, and to my surprise, Greenwich did not escape him. He seemed to know the town thoroughly. He spoke of Linwood, Indian Harbor, and Field Point. He knew the roads and the streets by name and all the outlying villages. He dwelt upon the beauty of the sound shore, the diversity of its rocks, and the remarkable growth of the oak tree so close to the tide. Quote, I have never found a village in any of the provincial counties on this side, he said, that is equal in beauty to Greenwich. If I ever return to New York, the memory of Old Lang Syne, will take me, for a day at least, to my happy old hunting grounds, in what to me is the prettiest suburb of New York, unquote. And Mr. Hall is not alone in his appreciation of Greenwich. There are scores of people who, hundreds of miles away, are often here in imagination, drinking in the healthy air, or the healthful air, and watching the ever-present and always beautiful sound. A short time since, I met a lady on Greenwich Avenue, whom I had not seen for several years. Her home is in Dakota. I expressed surprise at seeing her. She said she had packed her trunk on two days' notice because she longed to see Round Hill, the place of her birth. She wanted once more to stand in front of the old old nap store just as she did when a little girl, and smell the salt water on the early morning breeze. I doubt not she went home satisfied, for it is true that at low tide, with the wind from the south, 
The, swell, the smell of the salt water is clearly perceptible seven or eight miles away. In the village library the other day, a young man sat looking at the illustrations in a book called the, quote, Marvels of the New West, unquote. An older man looked over his shoulder and saw in the book the picture of Thomas H. Lawrence, a famous cattle king. That face called up many recollections of the time when Tom Lawrence was a frolicsome youth upon the streets of Greenwich. No boy could swim faster, dive deeper, shoot more unerringly, or run a bobsled with greater success than this same Tom Lawrence. Some of your readers will remember him, but who then thought that that bright-eyed merry boy was an embryo cattle king? I wrote him recently because as a boy I admired him and because I wanted to see if he had any affection for his old home. He answered at once, and I realize in every line of his long letter that, like Mr. Hall, he will not forget Greenwich. He asks about the old Davis Mill, where he used to swim. He wants to know if the hickory nuts are as plentiful as in Colonel's Woods as they used to be, and whether the water in Sheep Pen would probably seem as deep to him now as it did in the summer of 1867. Quote, I have, unquote, he says, quote, since then seen many rough experiences in the brush of Texas, on the deserts of Arizona and New Mexico, and in the snowy winters of Wyoming and Montana. But those days in Greenwich I have always remembered, and I shall never forget them, for they were the happiest days of my boyhood, unquote. And some day he will find Mr. Lawrence back here, if only just for a week, to look at the old scenes. Once in a remote New Hampshire town, I observed an aged man sitting on a smooth flat rock that had been the doorstep of a farmhouse long since removed. Weeds filled the dismantled cellar, and the little garden by the roadside had run wild with lilacs and phlox. He told me he had traveled 2,000 miles that he might, for the last time, breathe his native air and recline upon the doorstep that had been pressed by his infant feet. Not every one has such an affection for place, and yet on the mail list of every rural newspaper there are a score of names of people unknown to the editor or the village postmaster. They live far away, and although most of the friends of their youth are dead, and the local intelligence has no significance to them, the paper represents the home of their childhood, and it comes to them every week as a messenger of days that are gone, and if all but its name is meaningless, that at least serves to unite them to the old home, the home of the past. Signed, Ezekiel Lemondale. And again, my source on this is the Greenwich Graphic, February 14, 1891, page 3. I have to tell you that I have uh, quite a number of uh, friends of mine, especially in my home in Hawaii, um, who are attorneys. And uh, one of the things that they always turn around and say is that um, uh, litigation is a very, very, very messy business. Um, and that's true in the 21st century, and it was true in the early 20th as well. Um, this 
uh, story uh, comes from also the Greenwich News on December 1st, 1911. And the headline says, sues for slander. You know, people were lawyering up even back in those days. Uh, I guess it never changes. <laughs> well, anyway, Mrs. Janice of Coscob has grievance against former member of her household, uh, says the headline. The story goes as follows. Mrs. Virginia Janice, who is residing this winter in a part of the Peck homestead at, quote, the hub, unquote, Coscob, has brought suit through attorney William J. Ferris against Arthur DeVoe of 41 Madison Street, Brooklyn, alleging $8,000 damages for a remark he made July 3rd, 1910, relative to her character, in which remark he is alleged to have said that she was, quote, a snake and had improper relations with the men at Riverside, unquote. These remarks, Mrs. Janice declares, were false and malicious. They were alleged to have been said of the defendant to his sister, Miss Elsa Madge DeVoe, and if the case should come to trial in the Superior Court, December term, where it is set down for, Miss DeVoe would naturally be the chief witness against her brother. $500 belonging to Mr. DeVoe, part of the proceeds of the sale under foreclosure of the property at Riverside, formerly occupied by Mrs. Janice, Mr. DeVoe, and Ms. DeVore, and which is in the hands of Judge C.D. Burns, has been garnished by Mrs. Janice. Mr. DeVore is a well-known musician and editor of a musical publication in Brooklyn. His wife, to whom he has been married for about two years and who formerly resided in Riverside, is also an accomplished musician. Miss DeVore, who resides with Mrs. Janice Akoskab, is one of the best violinists in this vicinity and has often been heard at private and public entertainments. Mrs. Janice was formerly the wife of Dr. Sangri, now of New York and formerly of Riverside, whom she divorced and retained her first husband's name. She is an artist, best known work, probably being the celebrated, quote, a yard of roses, unquote. You know, I have been a member of the Greenwich Historical Society since the 1980s. Well, it's true. I know that's a long time, but you know what? It's been worth it. And I am inviting you to also join the Greenwich Historical Society, or if you have not done so, to please renew your membership. I have to tell you, my friends at the Greenwich Historical Society derive a great deal of pressure hosting visitors at the museum buildings, at the galleries, at the museum store, uh, at the Bush Holly House, uh, at the lovely gardens and grounds. It, it's really uh, just a wonderful thing to, um, uh, to behold. You often hear me say that you are a part of our history. Um, and visits to the Greenwich Historical Society at 47 Strickland Road in Coscob are engaging, fun, and they are educational for all. It really is your chance, whether you are a newcomer to uh, to Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, or uh, you are a, a resident of uh, many, many years, it really is your chance to connect with um, Greenwich's stories, past, present, and even be part of the future, as well as understand why these stories and our history are so significant. We want you to become a part of this special community, and so you are invited. Absolutely. You know, visitors are an essential part of the Greenwich Historical Society's fabric 
um, the museum experience and feedback that uh, that you provide guides the Greenwich Historical Society in making its exhibits and programs more engaging, fun, and educational. Now, my friends there understand that you want to feel connected to the stories we present as well as understand why those stories are significant. We at the Greenwich Historical Society want you to become a part of that community. And the very fact that you are able to enjoy the collections on site and online is a result of the Greenwich Historical Society's ongoing investment in its physical and digital museum. So, my friends, on behalf of the Greenwich Historical Society, I would like to ask you to uh, to help out uh, by becoming a member uh, or renewing your membership or even just making a donation uh, today. You know, there are multiple membership levels uh, that are in place, and the privileges of each me- membership are available online at GreenwichHistory.org. Now, no membership is too small to make a difference. So joining and or renewing is uh, is easy. You can do it, and uh, you can do it by um, by envelope, which you can pick up or, or have mailed to you from the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, probably the best way to do it, which is the way that I do it, is by um, doing so online through the website at GreenwichHistory.org. You just go through the menu. You'll see where um, it, it is that you go, and it's very, very easy to do online and very secure by by the way, I want to emphasize that to you. Now, one person that uh, that you can uh, contact is Laura Kelly. She is in charge of membership and development. Um, she can be reached at 203-869-6899. My friends, I want to thank you very, very much. Uh, as a descendant of the founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, for your interest in preserving our history and culture, and especially in supporting the ongoing mission, the ongoing work of the Greenwich Historical Society, either as a donor or as a member or even both. Thank you very, very much. May I let you in on a secret? In my not-so-humble opinion, Nothing beats the comfort and soothing qualities of a good, hot cup of coffee in a historical setting. The Coffee for Good Cafe is located in the Stone 1858 Solomon Mead House at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church of Greenwich. My friends, this is not your ordinary high-end retail coffee shop. Coffee for Good is a new, unique, nonprofit partnership with the Second Congregational Church and Abelis. It employs and trains people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Coffee for Good's authentically historical, legendary ambiance will make you want to sip and stay for hours. Believe me, I'm there. <laughs> Enjoy exquisite indoor and outdoor dining. The service is attentive and friendly. And did I mention... Ready for this? That the parking is free? Hey, just saying. Oh, and let me throw this into this free Wi-Fi. Need a place to study, work, read, meet up with friends, or just relax? Make Coffee for Good your destination. It's certainly one of mine. 48 Maple Avenue in the 1858 Stone Solomon Mead House. Open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Closed Sunday. Learn more at coffeeforgood.org. Again, that's coffeeforgood.org. Support is made possible by an award winner of the Landscape Architecture Foundation, Greenwich-based Peter F. Alexander, 
landscape architect of Site Design Associates, believes that landscape design has the capacity to transform perceptions and ultimately inaugurate a deeper respect for the natural environment. Since 1979, Peter F. Alexander has been tireless in his commitment to excellence in project design, management, implementation, and personal service. Building upon a cornerstone of experience and trust, he believes that each landscaped project design expands the interpretation of design, craftsmanship, and sustainability. Peter F. Alexander is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympics Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the master plan of the Calf Island Conservancy in Greenwich, Connecticut, numerous residential projects, and much more. Proudly collaborative in his approach, Peter F. Alexander's creations of immersive experiential landscape spaces cultivates a sense of community and connections that are second to none. Learn more about Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect at sitedesignassociates.com. Again, that's sitedesignassociates.com. You can also call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. By all means, when you contact Peter F. Alexander, please be sure to mention that you heard about him through the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Thank you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.li. S-I-S-T-U-D-Y dot info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475-897-5444. And we are welcoming a new major supporter to the show. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual Ambassador Museum based in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seeks to be a tribute to ambassadors, their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is looking for records, photographs, and videos of ambassadors and their families or people who have been associated with ambassadors in the past. Monetary donations are also welcome. Funding supports the Virtual Museum, which is receiving support from the University of Denver and the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Throughout the town of Greenwich's 20th century history, a number of ambassadors lived here, perhaps the most prominent being Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. He grew up on historic Denbig Farm off Riversville Road in the backcountry and served as ambassador to Morocco and as chief of protocol of the United States, among other diplomatic assignments. On future shows, we're looking forward to featuring histories of those from Greenwich who served the nation in various ambassadorial roles. You can learn more at amusa.info. Again, that's amusa.info. You can call 
203-347-4604. Again, that's 203-347-4604. Or you can write to Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. Again, that Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. From the early 1890s until the 1920s, what we know today as the Bush Holly House National Historic Site was the gathering place for a unique group of artists and writers. They were members of what became known as the Koskob Art Colony, the first American Impressionist art colony. The first documented arrival of artists was in 1892 when John Henry Twachtman and J. Alden Weir taught summer classes in Koskob for the Art Students League in New York. Twachtman, a Greenwich resident, was well-respected by his fellow artists and students. An important figure in the art colony, he encouraged his students to try new approaches, such as alternating oils with watercolors and pastels. This year, the Greenwich Historical Society marked the debut of the John Henry Twachtman Catalogue Raisonné, with an illustrated virtual talk by Lisa N. Peters, Ph.D., Dr. Peters traced Twachtman's road to Greenwich, where he lived with his family from 1890 to 1899 and created the Impressionist works for which he is best known. Now, Dr. Peters also charted Twachtman's artistic career through focus on a few key works from his early days in Cincinnati to European study and travel to New York City and finally to Greenwich, Connecticut. Now, my friends, I would like to invite you to go to the following address on the internet, greenwichhistory.org forward slash Twachtman, and that's spelled T-W-A-C-H-T-M-A-N. Again, that's T-W-A-C-H-T-M-A-N. So that's greenwichhistory.org forward slash Twachtman. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and you will find a link to YouTube, which is where you can enjoy Dr. Peter's virtual talk on the legendary John Henry Twachtman. Now, my understanding is uh, that Life and Art, the Greenwich paintings of John Henry Twachtman, the exhibition has been postponed, um, but I understand that it will be uh, on in 2022. So with the new year coming, that is something to, to look forward to. I urge you to check with the Greenwich Historical Society to see when the exhibition uh, will be open. It's something that I am looking forward to, and I hope that you will be too. Well, last and certainly not least, I wanted to show you or talk to you about how Greenwich, Connecticut celebrated Christmas 100 years ago. So why don't we get started with my first story, and this is about an old-time Christmas party at the Second Congregational Church. And it is as follows. The Children's Festival for Christmas at the Second Congregational Church will be an old-fashioned Christmas party on Saturday afternoon, December 24, at 4 o'clock. Now, according to the story, quote, there will be a Christmas tree 25 feet high. There will be holiday games with little children of other lands. There will be the coming of Santa Claus and candy and games galore. There will be Christmas carols and recitations by the little people and the older scholars. And a special feature of the occasion will be a dramatic reading of Dickens' The Catchets, 
Christmas Party by Dr. Huckel. He was the minister of the church at that time. There will be the story of the nativity given by four classes. The Christmas decorations will be in charge of Mrs. F.V.R. Reynolds, and the whole program will be given under the direction of Miss Julia B. Mead. The school enrollment and attendance is steadily growing. All parents and friends are cordially invited. Now, also over at, um, at Byram Chapel comes the following. The annual Christmas party for the children of St. John Chapel Sunday School, Byram, was held on Wednesday evening. The chapel was attractively decorated for the occasion with greens and a large Christmas tree. Prentice W. Hathaway, superintendent of the Sunday School, was in charge of the program. An address was given by Reverend E.E. E. Matthews, minister in charge of Christ Episcopal Church, Greenwich. The girl members of the primary department each received a doll and boxes of candy was distributed to all the children. The pupils received honor certificates for perfect attendance throughout the year were Ethel Connolly, Robert and Dorothy Bick, Arnim Strauss, Jesse Tripp. An additional prize was given to Robert Beek, aged six years, for his unusually fine attendance. Well, that's always nice. <laughs> that's good. All right. Um, let's see. Now, also, the Messiah Christmas um, uh, was held, a special Christmas service consisting of the Christmas music from Handel's Messiah, will be given in the Second Congregational Church, Greenwich, on Sunday afternoon, December 25th, this is in 1921, at 4 o'clock by the quartet of the church and a chorus choir, including Mrs. Nathaniel Webb, Mrs. Fisk, Mr. Herbert Tilly, and Mr. George O'Brien. Handel himself had his masterpiece performed with a chorus of 24 voices and an orchestra of 37 pieces, six of which were oboes. Other oratorios may be compared one with another, but the Messiah stands alone, a majestic monument to the memory of the composer and an imperishable record of the noblest sentiments of human nature and the highest aspirations of man, according to the story. The areas uh, will be sung by the quartet, Miss Ethel L. Harrison of Mount Vernon, who is the new soprano of the church, formerly sang in Christ Church of Greenwich, but resigned to go on a concert tour with the New York Lyric Singers. Mrs. Howell of Bridgeport and Mr. Studwell of Portchester need no introduction, being known and loved by many. Mr. Albert Haynes of Portchester, the tenor sang formerly in Christ Church of Rye and is a member of the Elks Quartet. Miss Harriet Morgan of New York is organist and director. By the way, my, my source on that is the Greenwich News and Graphic, and that was published on December 16 in 1921. All right, what else do I have here? Ah, yes. Special Christmas music under the direction of Miss Edith Foote will be given on Sunday morning, December 25th, at the First Methodist Episcopal Church. In the evening, the Sunday School will hold a service consisting of carols, recitations, etc. On Tuesday evening, December 27, the annual Christmas exercises of the Sunday School will take place. Well, that must have been very, very nice to be there for that. 
Now, let's not forget St. Rock's Church over in Chickahominy. Christmas exercises, according to the the story in the Greenwich News and Graphic, were attended by 285 children. The Sunday school of St. Rocco's Roman Catholic Church on Grigg Avenue, which is now St. Rock's Avenue, by the way, of which Reverend Eugene Sullivan is pastor, held its Christmas exercises Friday afternoon, which proved most interesting. There were recitations, songs, carols, and choruses, etc., by the children, who were there to the number of 285, and which were given in a manner that reflected credit upon the young performance, performers as well as upon the teachers, who had been at great pains to train them for the event. A specially interesting feature was the star view of the life of Christ, from his birth to the resurrection, which was explained by the Reverend Father Sullivan. Gifts were distributed to all the children, consisting of dolls, toys, and fruit, and the youngsters went home happy. There was a Christmas tree, of course, and representations of the manger and crib. Too much credit cannot be accorded to Mrs. John A. Corman, who worked long and faithfully and tirelessly to make the celebration a success, and the result must have been gratifying to that energetic lady. Well, I bet it was. (laughs) All right. Uh, St. Rocco's Church, or St. Rock's Church as we know him today, has been opened only since last February and already has achieved remarkable results in not only developing the devotional spirit, but in the work of real Americanization. And let's see, what else do we have? Ah, yes, the town tree. 300 children guests of Social Service League in Santa. And uh, this was published on uh, December 30th, 1921. 300 kitties were made happy last Saturday afternoon when a real Christmas party was given for them by the Greenwich Social Service League at the town hall. It was the first time that an affair of the kind had been attempted here on such a large scale. The custom has been for so many for many years to remember the little folks during the Christmas season, but such parties have been held at the headquarters of the league where gifts have been distributed. Invitations were issued this year to children and their parents, and although the hour was set for three o'clock, more than 100 of the youngsters arrived at the town hall shortly after one o'clock. But Mrs. William A. Stevens, who was in charge of the party, with the assistance of the local police, ably handled the situation, keeping her guests out of the building until the appointed hour. Special trolley cars were run to accommodate the children and their parents. That it was one of the merriest Christmases the children had ever experienced was evidenced during, let's see, let me turn the page here, afternoon. They had such a good time that it was after six o'clock before they could be finally induced to take their departure. Many of the parents accompanied the children, and they seemed to enjoy the festivities as much as the young folks. An entertainment consisting of interpretive dances, songs, etc., was provided by the YWCA girls. Then there was a grand march led by Miss Alexandra Clark and a little boy about the hall, assisted by ten girl reserves. A little later, Santa Claus, in the person of L.W. Gibbons, made his appearance, and the children flocked around him, expressing keen delight. Mr. Gibbons made an ideal Santa Claus and greatly amused the children. All sorts of games were played, after which the many gifts 
which had been placed around the prettily lighted Christmas tree, were distributed. Each boy was presented with a game or some other toy, while the girls received dolls. Every gift had the name of the child written on it, and this was not all, for there were oranges, half-round boxes of candy, and stockings filled with miniature toys given to the kiddies. The awards of five dollars in gold offered by the Greenwich chapter of the Red Cross to the baby who had the best record of attendance at the two milk stations during the past year were made. The Social Service League distributed 40 Christmas dinner baskets to needy families this year. The winner at the Hamilton Avenue station was Charles Caruso and at the East Porchester milk station, William Patterson. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it's always nice. That really is. Um, and then also we had a unique uh, observance of uh, Christmas, and um, this was at the First Congregational Church in Old Greenwich. A most unique Christmas entertainment was given by the members of the Sunday School and Primary Department of the f in the First Congregational Church, Sound Beach, which we know today as Old Greenwich, of course, last, Sunday, last Friday evening. The church platform was transformed into a barn scene with a wooden manger in the center surrounded by hay and corn stalks with a yoke for oxen in the far corner. Suspended from the manger was a lantern of early date, groups of children attired in English, the Northland, Belgium, and other costumes sang songs and brought their gifts which were laid about the manger. Miss Happy Potter, who led a group of girls carrying lighted tapers, sang a solo and at the close of each girl lighted incense, which she carried in her hands and later placed about the manger. Miss May Verhagen, contralto soloist of the church choir, rendered the, quote, birthday of the king, unquote, while her attendants placed wreaths of greens in the manger. Such hymns as We Three Kings of Orient Are, Come Thou Almighty King, and Joy to the World, were sung by the entire audience. Miss Viola Worrell recited at the organ, and Reverend Dr. L. W. Barney, the pastor, gave quotations from scripture. At the close of the program, Andrew Kellogg as Santa Claus made his appearance, and oranges, candy, dolls, and toy guns were distributed to the children. On Sunday morning, a service entitled The White Way of the King was presented by members of the Sunday School and Primary Department, which was in the form of a pageant, after which gifts were given to charitable institutions of the town by each class in the Sunday School and society in the church. That, my friends, pretty much gives you an idea of how it is that um, the people of Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, observed and celebrated uh, Christmas. Of course, they did it in their homes, uh, but these were uh, mostly public events at churches and uh, the town hall. And so with that said, I would like to thank you very, very much for tuning in today and listening to the December 25th, 2021 Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead. I am a direct descendant of the 16th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, a truly extraordinary community. Once again, we thank you very, very much for being a part of our history, and I sincerely hope that you had a wonderful, merry, and happy Christmas. And we look forward to New Year's Eve coming up. I will have a show on, the, on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, uh, and uh, I look forward to welcoming you, 
welcoming you back as we continue to explore and learn and celebrate the history of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. Thank you so much. We'll see you later. Bye-bye now. <laughs>